We are glad you're here as we dive into this new series tonight called The Armor of God. And we're, for the next three weeks, we're really just going to be looking at one paragraph, about 10 or 11 verses in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, which comes at the end of just an amazing book, an amazing letter that Paul wrote to this church. And he really wraps up and he talks in this passage in such detail about the spiritual battle that is going on in our world. And whether you opted into it or not, you are in the battle. Whether you're like, I didn't sign up for that. Well, we are all in it if you're alive. We are part of the spiritual battle that goes on in the world. And we're gonna be looking the next several weeks at some of the characteristics of this battle and what this battle looks like and how we can fight this spiritual battle in our lives. Well, as many of you may know, if you know much about me, you know that one of my favorite sports to watch is cycling. Now, I get for most of you, watching a bunch of dudes with tight clothes on ride their bikes for hours at a time sounds like about as exciting as watching paint dry on a wall. I get that, and that's okay. I'm not asking for you to enjoy it, but I grew up racing bikes, and I love watching cycling. But there was a few weeks ago that this race happened, and I had heard of it before, but it happened again about two weeks ago in the Netherlands, and it's called the Dutch Headwinds Cycling Challenge. And here's some clips from the Dutch Headwind Cycling Challenge. So this takes place right outside Amsterdam, which is a town, obviously in the Netherlands, a city that has some of the most bikes in the world, and every person is given a bike. And you're wondering why they're riding so slow, right? Like if this is a bike race, why are they riding so slow? The winner of the female category actually is an Olympic medalist in rowing. Why are they riding so slow? Because they wait until the biggest storm of the year is coming. And at this storm, the winds are blowing at approximately 50 to 80 miles per hour. And then they ride their bikes for about five to six miles straight into the wind. Straight into the wind. Now, for most of us, going on a five-mile bike ride, especially for people who are athletic, is not a difficult feat. That is not that hard to get on a bike and ride at a leisurely pace for five miles down the road. That's basically like riding down the lakefront to Soldier Field. That's not that hard for a reasonably healthy person to do. But what makes it difficult, right, are these invisible forces, which we know because we see the effects of them and we live and we see them all the time, called the wind. And something that should be very easy for them to do, to ride a bike quickly one place, and suddenly sees this unforeseen obstacle that's just getting in their way, and what should seem easy suddenly is very difficult. And as I saw that video clip a few weeks ago, I thought, man, sometimes that's what it's like to be a Christian. You feel like you should be able to move forward in your Christian life with no difficulty, right? I got it. Read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give. This is eat. I got this Christian life down. I am going. It's just like pedaling a bike. This is easy. And suddenly these forces that you don't see seem to be hitting you. And you're like, why, why do I feel like I'm going in place? And oftentimes, why do I feel like I'm getting knocked over? Why do I feel like I'm sliding backwards? See, we, we fight a battle not as a walk like against the wind, but in our Christian life against spiritual forces that are battling against our very hearts and against our very souls. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them to the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians chapter 6. You also hopefully received a bulletin when you came today. Um, The text and the outline for tonight are there in the bulletin as well. Ephesians 
chapter 6, starting um, just in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, the the key word in this, really this whole section, and even in the passage that we're going to look at in a few minutes, is is this ability to withstand in the midst of everything that's coming at us, in the midst of the spiritual battle we face, the ability to stand firm in God. The ability to stand firm. And so tonight, as as Paul introduces these ideas in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at three reasons that we can stand firm if you're a follower of Jesus The first reason you can stand firm if you're a follower of Jesus is that we are empowered by God. We are empowered by God. It says there, notice that it's easy to to see, okay, it says to to be strong. To be strong. All right, so that means that as a follower of Jesus, I just need to, to man up to get ready, to brace myself for whatever could come my way, to to hype myself up tomorrow morning as I go to the office. Be strong, be strong no matter what happens. No, what does it say? To be strong in who? In the Lord. And in the strength of whose might? In the strength of God's might. See, God is the one who empowers us to live a life that can follow him at all. As a Christian, the the source of our strength, the source of our power in the spiritual battle we face is not of our own, but we rely on the strength of God. We rely on the strength of someone else to be able to get us through the difficulties of life. Now, as I was thinking of, of, of times where we rely on the strength of someone else, I was reminded of something that I cringed and I hated when I was in school. And those are group projects. Group projects. Now, when I think about group projects, I don't know, there's probably a variety of this, but I tend to think there's kind of four type of people in group projects, all right? First, there's like the really outgoing person who doesn't have to study and they're, they can get by in their personality and just wing it. Right, like they'll get up and they'll talk and everyone will be like, oh yeah, they're really good at communicating, okay. And they don't really do any of the work and they kind of frustrate some of the other people. You have the person who just kind of does the 25% that they're asked to do, right? They're asked to do this, so they'll do their part. They don't look at the other people. They're just gonna do their little bit. Then you have the person who doesn't do any of the work, right? They're, they're the freeloader. They're like, hey, I'm, I know these other people care about this, so I'm not going to do any of the work. And then you have the person who is so obsessed with the grade that they're going to get that they're going to do all of the work for everyone else, no matter who they're with, just in case they don't do the work, and they're going to do all of it. I was that kid who was like overly obsessed with his grade, so I identify with that kid who like group project, you're like, oh, that just means I got to do three other people's homework. Okay, all right. But, but here's the thing, It doesn't matter. After the group project is over, it doesn't matter if you're the one who did all the work, a little bit of the work, some of the work, or none of the work, the group together would get one grade. And that person, even if they didn't do their share, even if they didn't do much of the end of the work, they can get by on the strength of the people around them. They're not relying on their own abilities, but they're they're relying instead, here in an improper way, right, on the strength of the people around them. See, it's interesting that we are strongest in our spiritual battle when we are most reliant on God. 
We are strongest in our spiritual battle, not when we feel the strongest, but when we are the most reliant on God, which is interesting because the, the reason or when we are the most reliant on God is actually when we feel weak. Think about it. When you feel weak, when you feel powerless, when you feel your own inadequacy, that's when you consciously rely on God's strength. And then when you consciously rely on God's strength, that's how you actually should live. And that's when you are the strongest in your spiritual battle. That's why Paul can say that his power is made perfect when in our weakness. For when we are weak, then he is strong. See, the Christian life is a life that's not God's call on us to get ready and to try harder, although there is certainly an effort involved by us. But it's a life of living in reliance on the strength that only can come from God. So when you think of the spiritual battle that we all face, this passage, this first verse is just a reminder that you cannot fight a spiritual battle on your own strength and win. You cannot fight the spiritual battle you are in on your own strength and win. Daily dependence is our only way of victory. Daily dependence is our only way of victory. So how do we know if we're depending on God's strength versus our own? Right, because in our heads, I think we can be like, okay, I got it. Rely on God's strength. But practically, how do we know if we're relying on God's strength or our own? I think often the extent to which we practice the disciplines that God has given us shows where our strength really lies and shows where we think our strength really comes from. Our practice of the disciplines shows our level of dependence upon God. Because if we really realize where our power came from, it wouldn't be hard for us to set aside time for prayer. If we really realize where the power came from in our spiritual battle, it wouldn't be such a struggle to spend time in God's word. But if we see those things as daily happening, that's how we know we're relying on God and not just on our own strength and on our own power. I shared with you a, uh, a few months ago um, that my wife, Kristen, is pregnant and expecting. And there is a small percentage of women who get morning sickness. And it's not just in the morning, as lots of you know who have been pregnant, but it's basically all day long. Who don't just get morning sickness for a few weeks or months. They get it the whole time. My wife is one of those special people. She's special for many reasons. I was hoping not for this reason, but she is, all right? Now, praise God, we live in 2020, and there's this amazing thing called medicine. Amazing thing called medicine, all right? Now, we had a time where there was like this little battle for insurance with our doctor, with the pharmacy, and the medicine wasn't ready for pickup, and we ran out for a day. That day, I think, was probably the worst day of my wife's life. I was at work, and she literally was just texting me about every 20 minutes a number of the next time she threw up. Just day at time after time after time. It was awful until we finally got her on the medicine again, and then she's been good ever since. Now, that medicine is a thing that my wife is depending on daily to keep her going. Right? And it's not something that she has to wake up in the morning or remind herself that she has to do. Why? Because she's dependent on it and she knows that she needs that to get through the day to feel better. She's dependent on it and her actions show it. 
See, we can say we depend on God, but do our daily actions show it? Do we wake up and we know what we need to do to prepare ourselves? That we know that spending time in God's word, that praying, that practicing spiritual disciplines isn't an option? Or do we wake up knowing that, hey, this battle I'm in, it's not just me, but I need God's strength. I can't face the things coming to me at work and with family today. I need God's help. And we show our reliance on God's strength as we practice these disciplines, that we are empowered by him and not by our own strength, not by our own abilities. He continues here in Ephesians chapter 6 on this idea of being strong in the Lord, and he starts to flesh it out. He says this in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, the second reason that we can stand firm is because we are equipped by God. We are equipped by God. First, we are empowered. We're to be strong with God, be strong in his might. And the second reason we can stand firm is because we are equipped by God. God gives us what we need to stand firm in the spiritual battle and the spiritual struggle that we face. And so it says in verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God. To put on the whole armor of God. And this idea of the armor of God obviously is a, a battle imagery. That's why even the, the look of the series here is of a warrior or someone in battle. And, and this idea of just the armor of God has a few different aspects to it. First, we see it's the armor that God supplies. It's the things that God gives us. And next week, as we study verses 14 through 17, we're going to really dive in as to what, what does the armor of God look like? What does God give us as this equipment to fight the daily battle. But this armor is something first that God supplies. The second idea of the armor of God is the armor of God is actually something that God himself wears. It's the armor that God himself wears. This imagery that, that Paul uses in Ephesians 6 is pulled from the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, and when Isaiah looked forward to the Messiah to come, he looked forward and many of these same imageries that, are, that show up here in Ephesians 6 are true of the Messiah. They're true of Jesus. And so the armor of God is, yes, the armor God gives us, but the armor God wears. And the other aspect of this is this is putting on God himself. This is putting on God himself. It speaks of our union with Christ and that we aren't to live our lives separate, but we should see the things that God gives us to fight this battle are true in him and in him alone. And the imperative command here is that we put this on. Why? So that we could stand. That we could stand. This word occurs four times here just in these few short verses. It's this idea of being able to resist the devil, to, to stand firm amidst whatever would come our way. This idea of why we need to be equipped with the armor is further elaborated in verse 12. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This word wrestle is the only time this word here occurs in scripture. 
There's lots of other words that Paul could have used for battle or for fight, but he chose this word in particular because it was common back then of their athletic games where two men were in hand-to-hand combat wrestling and fighting with each other. When you think of this wrestling, I don't want us to think of a guy who's sitting in a drone operating room somewhere in the middle of the desert. And he's like on a joystick while he's flying something 10,000 miles away and hitting some buttons and bombing. That's not what our battle looks like. But Paul uses the most intimate word he has to describe a personal struggle with the enemy. We struggle personally. It's hand to hand. We wrestle with what? And he uses four different words here. Not against just things physically that we can see, but against the rulers and against the authorities. He's used both of these categories already two times in this book, both in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, speaking of evil in the spiritual realm. He says this as well, we battle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now what Paul is clearly saying is there is more going on in this world than just physically what you and I see. And there are spiritual forces that are battling against us even this moment. Even today, spiritual forces are coming and battling against us. As Paul lists these out, they're kind of just to be this comprehensive idea of all the spiritual evil forces that could gather against us. He's not meaning here to try and rank some, like our rulers above authorities, and we're to cosmic power slide, and that's not his idea, but just to show the totality that is coming against our very hearts and against our very lives. So why do we so often, in 2020, in the most, we like to think of ourselves as the most educated people living in the most educated time in history of the world, why do we ignore what is called spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare, this idea that the battle that we're in isn't just a physical thing, but actually a spiritual battle as well. Why do we ignore it? Some of us are just out of fear we ignore it. We're not sure what to think or what to do with that, so we think, well, if we don't think about it, if, we, if we, we're, we're scared of it. Some of us think that it's just a lot of controversy around these things, and, and sometimes we've seen sensationalist views on it, and so we think, well, we just got to throw the whole thing out. Sometimes we're honestly just confused as to what the Bible has to say and what's really happening here. And sometimes I think we're just ignorant of what's going on. See, our our world can kind of be divided into a few different views of how we view ourselves and spiritual forces. On one side, you would have someone over here who would say, all there is in the world is what we can see. Right? A materialistic, humanistic worldview. There is no God. There is no, nothing spiritual. All that is is right, right here, right now. All of this stuff about spiritual forces, about God, all of that is a bunch of nothing just to help people cope with their lives, and it doesn't really matter. That is one worldview where nothing exists outside of the material realm. If you're a follower of Jesus or a Christian, you have obviously rejected that worldview. You've seen that that's not true. That's limiting what we know to be the reality. What often happens is then we come over here and we say, all right, well, we have kind of this worldview where we can see things. And so we have the physical and then we just have the supernatural, 
right? And there's kind of this two tiers here. We have physical, the world around us, and then there's supernatural. And we know like there's stuff going on up there, but we don't really know a lot about it and we don't really want to pay much attention to it. And for lots of our lives, we just kind of ignore it. And we focus just on the physical and what is seen. But I've been really helped here, and we're going to talk about his stuff a little bit more because it's been so helpful to me. Um, A a man named Marcus Warner, um, some of you may have gone, he's been here and taught at Moody Church several different times. And he talks about how we need to have three tiers to our worldview. See, the top tier above all of this is God. There is God above all. And the spiritual forces that are in this are not spiritual forces that are equivalent to the power of God. First ranking is God himself above all other things. The second is what we would call spiritual forces, angels or demons in the world. And these things are are of the second rank, but they are below God and they cannot approach God. They do not have power over God. And then the third underneath that is our world, the physical world that we see. But he makes sure, and I want us to understand tonight, that that this spiritual battle is not taking place because demons or Satan is more powerful than God. They're on an entirely different level. God is over all of them and has created all and is over all things. So we're going to look on the third point at a passage that talks about that. But the thing is, we, we don't live in a world where these things just kind of all stay in their place, right? Like, God, you stay up here, demons and angels, you stay here, and we'll stay down here, and nothing interacts. But we are in a spiritual battle. It says there in verse 11, to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes. This is a reminder that even if you're not looking for evil, even if you're not looking to sin, you can still fall into evil. You can still fall into sin. See, a scheme is something that is done to try and intentionally trick someone else to lead them in a place they didn't want to go. If you remember, especially 15, 20 years ago, if you had an email address back when email was still kind of new, there's a pretty good chance, I remember I did, that you got an email from someone in Nigeria claiming to be a prince wanting you to send him money, and he would send you a lot of money back. Now, if you're Nigerian here tonight, I'm sorry. I don't know why they kept picking, like, just let the record show, I've met a lot of Nigerians. They're very nice people, and they've never asked me for money. All right? But, like, they quickly became known that is a scheme. They're out to get something from you. There's all sorts of schemes that are going on right now because it's tax season. There's other schemes going on. I know I get a phone call and they leave a voicemail on my cell phone at least once a month. They call and they say this, this is so-and-so from the collections agency. We're here to report because you are late on your student loan bills. And if you do not pay them soon, we will come in and we will take your assets, we will take your house, we will take your cars, we will take your bank accounts. Call us back at this number and we'll help you solve your problems. There's only one problem. I've never taken out a student loan, right? I I don't have student loans. I never took out a student loan, but they're calling. Why? Because they're hoping that if you have a student loan, suddenly you start panicking and without thinking, you call them back and you give them before you know what you've done, you've fallen for a scheme. You've been tricked into it. And Satan has schemes that he is trying to trick us, that he is trying to make us fall into into so that we would be trapped, that we would give him advantages into our lives. 
The book of Ephesians chapter 4, just a couple chapters before this, chapter 4 verse 27, just says this very quickly. It says, give no opportunity to the devil. Some translations say, do not give a foothold to the devil. Don't allow the devil any place into our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul puts it this way. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And thinking of the schemes of the devil and how the devil tries to get footholds or strongholds, places into our lives where he can impact us. As I mentioned earlier, I've been very helped by the thinking of Marcus Warner in this. And he kind of outlines four ways, kind of a four-step strategy that we often allow the devil to have strongholds into our lives. The first step of strongholds, of, of giving Satan ground into our lives, is that wounds come into our lives. Wounds come into our lives. Now, the problem here is this. This will happen to every single one of us, right? Things will happen in our lives that will hurt us. People will hurt us. Circumstances will hurt us. We will have wounds. All of us walk with a limp. We all are wounded people. And he compares when we are undergoing a wound, when we've been hurt in our lives, that our souls are now like fresh soil. That they're like fresh soil. They are ready to take in something around us. They are, they are fresh. They are ready to grow. And he says the second step that happens after we are wounded is that we start to believe in lies. We start to believe lies. See, we know that the devil is the father of all lies. And when wounds come into our life, oftentimes we'll start to believe lies about the things that happened to us or the things that we experienced. Oftentimes those lies are, we believe lies about God. Well, if God was really good, he wouldn't have let this happen. If God really loved me, he wouldn't have let me lose my job like that. If God was almighty, why did he let my aunt or my mom die of cancer? If God could have done this and we, and we start to prevent lies in our mind, we get lies in our mind first about God. Oftentimes we start to believe lies about ourselves. What's happened to me because I'm not valuable. I'm not any good. I'm not worthy of any love. And we start to tell ourselves lies and we often can tell ourselves lives about our lives and their meanings about ourselves. What happens if we start to, instead of believing the truth of God, start to believe the lies about God and lies about ourselves, is what will happen is then he says we'll make vows. We will make promises. He, he says we'll make I will statements. A few examples of what these promises look like. We might say something like, I will never let someone hurt me again. I will never let someone control me again. I will never do this to my kids like how my parents did this. I will do whatever I have to do to prove to my parents, to my boss, to my former boss that I have what it takes. And we make promises to ourselves. And as we made promises because of the lies we believe in, the last thing that we allow are strongholds into our lives. And we see here that, that when hurt comes into our lives, 
It's so important that we don't believe the lies of Satan, but we believe the truth of God's word. Because if it doesn't, we'll start to make ourselves promises based off wrong information. And then we'll start to allow Satan to creep into our hearts and into our lives in places that we didn't want. See, the command here in this passage, it's, it's hard for us to see in English, but every command here is given not in a singular, but in a plural. It's we wrestle, you all wrestle, we're in this together. And one of the most important things of living the Christian life together is this, is that when wounds come into our lives, because we'll all get hurt, is that we're able to speak the truth of God to other people in their pain. Because when we're in our pain, it's the easiest to start to believe lies about God and lies about ourselves. And one of the reasons why living life not on our own, because man, we can lie to ourselves really good when we're isolated, alone, and in pain. You will lie to yourself all the time. And why it's good to be surrounded by God's people, why church, why community is so important is that in the midst of those times that they will be able to speak the God's truth and combat those lies into our hearts and into our lives. See, for many of us, we've believed in some of the lies through some of the significant pain of our lives. And we've made promises to try and protect ourselves. I know this is difficult and it's not comfortable to do, but just ask God tonight if you've given the devil any strongholds in your life because of the lies that you may have believed. Lies about God, lies about yourself. Some of us think things about God that aren't true to scripture and we wonder why we so naturally think that. Well, it's because it comes from the pain in our lives. We don't see why we have value and worth and dignity. Why do we think that? Because it comes from the pain in our lives. See, we need to see that the devil has schemes against us, but God has given us his armor. God has given us all we need in this life to follow after him. He has equipped us in this spiritual battle that we stand in, to stand for truth, to know God's truth in the midst of all the lies that could come about in our hearts. Verse 13 just simply kind of concludes this passage by saying this, therefore take up again the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The evil day is looking both now and in the future, the time between Christ's first coming and second coming, and then it's looking to that ultimate day where evil will culminate. But this isn't just a future tense. He's talking about now. This is the evil day that we'd be able to stand now because of the armor of God in our lives. The third reason we can stand firm as a follower of Jesus Christ is we are emboldened by God. We are emboldened by God. See, the purpose in writing this, and if you were to read the book of Ephesians, you would see this comes right at the end of the book of Ephesians. The purpose in writing this isn't to scare these people, but actually to encourage them, to encourage them. So you might leave here tonight being like, what was at church tonight? You might see a friend tomorrow. You're like, well, the pastor just talked about how like, there's powerful forces that are unseen and they want to destroy us. And now I'm scared, right? Like, you're like, is that what we're supposed to come away from tonight? That I should be terrified of living my life because there's like these things I can't see battling for my very heart, my very life. It's not at all the, pur the purpose of this passage. It's not at all why Paul writes these things to us. 
Instead, he writes for us to be encouraged, that we don't have to live in fear of the devil. Why don't we have to live in fear of the devil and his schemes? What confidence can we have? Well, we just have to look forward to where Paul started in the book of Ephesians. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Jesus is seated in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So why don't we have to fear? Because Paul looks back at this promise and says, look, Jesus died for your sins, was resurrected. There's this second tier. There's spiritual forces, rulers, authorities, powers, dominions. Jesus is over all. And Paul has written this whole letter of Ephesians to remind them that they are now, he uses this phrase over and over again, in Christ. They are in Christ. Now what this means is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are now in Christ. And you don't have to fear this level of power and evil here. Why? Because if you're in Christ, that means you're up here with him. He is seated far above all rulers and powers and authorities. And you have power over these things too, not because of anything you've done, but because you're united to Jesus. And because he has defeated evil through his death and resurrection on the cross. We live in this life, in this tension of this. We have been united with Christ and we experience that, but yet we aren't yet fully formed into what God would have us to be. And we experience this tension of living and already experiencing salvation and not yet being delivered from it. But Paul reminds us in this passage of the power of Jesus Christ, the power that God has for us when we rely not on our strength, but on his. John put it so eloquently in his book of 1 John chapter 4. He said, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For greater is he, that's Jesus, that's God who is in you, than he who is in the world. We don't have to fear because the God who saved us, the God who is with us, is far greater than anything that is in the world. See, being in Christ and being united to Christ changes all of our lives. Paul doesn't say here to put on the armor of God so that you can get ready to fight really hard so that you can win the victory. But Paul says the victory has been won. Jesus has defeated the satanic forces. He has ushered in their defeat through the cross. And while they await their final destination in that day, it's when we unite ourselves to him, relying on his power, on his strength, not on our own, that we can see that we have victory over anything the world would come around us. So why he doesn't say to get ready to fight for victory yourselves, but just to stand firm because victory has already been won for you. So he just wants us to remind us, and I want to remind you this week, that no matter what you face, no matter what obstacles may come in your way, nothing can separate you from God. No evil spiritual force, no angel, nor demon, no circumstance, nothing can separate us 
from Christ because he is over all those things. And when we are united to him and only in him, do we have victory over everything else. God, we thank you that through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have defeated all these things. And that right now you are seated at the right hand of God and you are enthroned above all rulers and powers and authorities. God, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like in our lives not to rely on our own strength, but to rely on you. God, help us to realize the battle that we are in is so much greater than what we can physically see each and every day. God, we thank you that in all these things, we are more than conquerors because of him who loved us. That in Jesus, we have victory over all these things. I pray all these things in his name. Amen.